When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, if you like this podcast, you should check out the full finance journey at realvision.com slash rvpod to get the full view of what Real Vision is all about. A video on-demand platform you can watch anywhere. Our members get daily videos and analysis, plus access to more than 3,000 videos for beginners and experienced investors alike, and live events online. You'll join the most thoughtful community in finance. More than 300,000 people who trust Real Vision to be the anchor to truth in the financial world. To get started, visit realvision.com slash rvpod. Use the promo code PODCAST10 to get 10% off our essential membership for your first year. Enjoy the show. Are investors paying enough attention to the Forex markets? Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Weston Nakamura, our global markets editor, is here with us today, and he is adamant that we are definitely not paying attention, enough attention to currency markets. Hi, Weston. Hi, Maggie. Um, and I, I wouldn't necessarily accuse or say that, um, but I, I am, am saying that we should probably be paying more attention than we are. Okay, well, that's fair enough for the clarification. Um, But it is something that we were really chewing over when we were having an internal conversation, because listen, for those of us, you know, rolling here in the U.S., rolling in after a long holiday weekend, it was hard to know what to pay attention to. We had a stronger than expected services ISM. We have a new PM in the U.K. We have European energy companies and that situation just getting worse by the moment. The yen making monster moves. I mean, it was it was a lot to walk into. Um, and I, I want to talk about all of it, but I think that you were making some really good points to us about sort of the importance of looking at currency markets. So let's bring that conversation to the outside world. Why is Forex a place that you watch so closely right now? Sure. Um, so let me just preface this by saying I am not a traditional Forex trader or have like a Forex kind of background. I'm not, so I don't have any sort of bias for it by any means. Um, you know, I started off my finance career, institutional finance on the futures desk, which oversees basically everything included for, including Forex. So I'm kind of very, very um, apolitical in terms of like uh, asset classes to watch. The reason I'm watching Forex- Cross asset Swiss army knife is like what we like to call you. Yes. <laughs> looks <laughs> sure. at everything. Yeah, looks at everything. Um, master of nothing, basically. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> so basically though, the reason I'm looking at it is because it's it's re- it's relevant to, to um, broader cross asset global market price action. Um, it, currently at the moment, the FX markets um, have a, not just a better read on uh, what's happening in, in asset markets X, Forex, but also it's it's more of like a, I don't want to say more pure, but a less dirty read um, compared to the other asset classes, equities, rates, you know, bonds, stock, fixed income, uh, commodities, um, you know, amongst the, the majors uh, on, on what's going on in, in the world at large and how markets are kind of taking everything in. So that's why I'm watching. 
So that, that's and that's really interesting because and important because let's face it, a lot of us, you know, have stocks in our retirement accounts. That tends to be what we look at. Um, if you, you know, turn on the news on any given day, you're going to see, oh, the Dow is up, the Dow is down, the stock market did this. We don't, you know, the the sort of general media does not really cover foreign exchange very yeah. much or very well. Um, so, you know, if, if, if it's something that is giving signals that are worth paying attention to or not watching it, I mean, it's, it's something we need to understand. So less polluted view of what's going on. Talk to me about, talk about services ISM. So yeah. we- Can I give this, you a polluted view? <laughs> Can I give you a polluted market first? Right. And just, just so everyone, in case you missed it, the services ISM came in stronger than expected, which immediately led people to believe, okay, we're, we're in for higher rates. That means the, the economy's strong and that it's not rolling over, maybe. And the Fed is going to have to keep hiking rates. There's going to be higher interest rates. Correct. So, uh, Brian, chart one, please. Uh, this is simply the SPX E-minis uh, chart intraday um, from today, from earlier today. And you could see this, like, you know, it looks like a flash crash almost. But basically what happened was at cash open, uh, S&P index sold off down about, you know, one and a quarter so percent. Then the better than expected uh, services PMI came out. And then you see a massive like V-shaped bottom and reversal um, and, and a rally of about, you know, back to kind of flat, more or less. And then you see this like stair step sort of sloppy price action downwards. Now, that like purple shaded area, first of all, let's ignore like the, the, the catch open part, but, like that, that surge upwards on the ISM print that moment. First of all, that's not... Um, that is not uh, like human beings. Those are systematic flows that they are basically kind of headline scanning um, algos and all that. And they have futures locked and loaded and ready to just blast uh, directionally. You know, there, there aren't people that are intaking the ISM services PMI print, like digesting it, making a directional investment decision, and then executing that, you know, that trade mm -hmm. within a half a second, right? So, so that's basically, people are not involved in that. Um, and so what is that, what does the equity market reaction tell me about how market participants at large feel about, you know, the stronger than expected services PMI and therefore like what that implication is on the Fed and FOMC policy? Well, nothing really. I mean, for me personally, I, I don't really get any sort of reading, um, out of that. So, equities, and that's important because I yeah. think a lot of us were, cause I came in and I was confused because I was thinking, well, hang on a second. If the Fed's going to keep raising rates, why would stocks be rallying? And not? you're right. In in a computer doesn't isn't making the nuanced is good news actually bad news now, or they're they're not doing that sort of stepped out analysis. That and and that's why you're getting if they scan the headlines and they see a positive, well, that might be positive in another scenario. But is it that now? You know, right. and so you, it is very sloppy the response. But even I would even say that like so then introduce the active fund manager, the human being. Um, I mean, there there's a whole disparate like uh, array of opinions about is mm -hmm. good news, good news, or is good news, bad news, or is bad news, good news. And so that I mean, even it's you know I'm not I'm not like trying to pick out the pick on like the systematic flows only and saying that they're wrong or anything. I'm saying that everyone's more or less probably going, you know wrong. Um, or at least is is trading on uncertainty if they're even trading at all. Um, and so the equity markets, especially during like very illiquid summer days, doesn't really give me any sort of signal or tell me anything as to what the sentiment is or the actions are uh, with regards to 
this specific print, but like anything. I'm just using this because this was from from earlier today. Mm-hmm. Um, so equities that doesn't really do it for me. The rates market, okay. So let's take the the fixed income market. That does a better job. Um, you know, Raul always talks about like bonds are the you know the the, the truth um, chart of truth, yeah, the chart of truth and all that. And while I agree in like relative to to equities, bonds are still in fixed income and you know like U.S. Treasuries and sovereign rates and all that, um, and thereby uh, credit and uh, fixed income, you know, large. But um, bonds are still very much under the heavy hand of central banks. Even if you have the Fed who is supposedly tapering um, and they're kind of running off their balance sheet, that is, is still very much direct market impact. Like the only way that you don't have like a non-economic major actor in, you know, with their fingerprints in the in these markets, you know, themselves is if they're absolutely gone and absent. So that's post-tapering. And then even then, you're still going to, if the perception by market participants is that the central banks and the authorities, um, top-down authorities, uh, can and will step in or are, you know, active in in markets. Uh, if they, if that, that's what they believe, then that in in and of itself can become a self-fulfilling reality, and that will distort market behavior um, as well. So, raised markets are also kind of, you know, not really that clean of a read of what's uh, going on and what how how markets are digesting a piece of information, a piece of data, an event, a geopolitical event, or what what have you. Um, commodities markets. Commodities as an asset class is probably the stupidest of all groupings because it, I mean, that includes anything from gold to frozen frozen orange juice concentrate to, you know, cotton to uh, coke and coal futures and, and so on and so forth, right? So commodities is a is a very kind of stupid, broad, overly broad thing. But um, let's take something like oil, for example, because crude oil is supposed to be like uh, a barometer of, to a certain extent of uh, growth and inflation. Mm. Um, but then we start getting stories like you and I were talking about before about margin um, uh, and, uh, you know, on, on one and a half trillion of outstanding notion on listed derivatives. Um, and then you just have like uh, I was talking about this video that I put out um, about everything on in futures markets correlating regardless of what the underlier is be it cotton futures yen futures treasury futures gold futures uh wti crude futures on march 7th like prior to march 7th they have a blow off top then on march 7th of this year they all just plummet down right um just one giant margin call regardless of what the underlier is so that doesn't really tell me anything either that um these 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 markets either right um so what's left is the fx markets what keeps the FX markets kind of honest, if you will, is that it's a market that um, it, ha- it has like a, a built-in checks and balance system, if you will. Uh, you can't just buy just the yen or just the British pound or sell just the Aussie dollar. It's a pair trade. So there's always another side to it. So if the Japanese authorities, for example, if they want to intervene or if they want to manipulate the yen or whatever it is, you can't just do that by yourself. Like you, there's still the EUR part of it or the USD part of it. There's still Secretary Yellen involved, or you know Christine Lagarde involved with the decision. So um, FX markets kind of keep each other in check because of the nature of the fact that they are uh, pair trades against one mm-hmm. another, um, and they are you know they, they trade almost twenty four, not twenty four seven, twenty four five, uh, and they are just 
relatively speaking, more of a, you know, a cleaner read of what markets are, um, you know, how they feel about some particular data point or an event. Yeah, no, it it makes an awful lot of sense when you lay it out like that. It really does. So what if so if we're looking at the forex markets, you know, what are the messages that you're getting? What are you watching? Sure. Um, so let's let's just take because you mentioned um, the UK has a new prime minister. Um, this trust. So Brian, if you pull up chart two, please. Um, so all night, all day for you, I've been watching the yen get destroyed. Uh, dollar yen gets moving higher and higher and higher. Um, the, uh, the new prime minister, um, Liz Truss, she made her speech outside, uh, you know, 10 down street, um, around, uh, actually, I don't know what time it is in, <laughs> in, uh, New York or, or London. It's but understandable yeah. that you don't know the time zone. This is what happens <laughs> right. when you never sleep. <laughs> so, so what, what happened though, was that, uh, dollar yen, which was surging towards breaking into the 143 handle for a new big figure on the day kind of just took a pause at that moment. And that was because of um, the British pound against the yen, which the British pound, if Brian, if you pull up chart three, the pound has been getting destroyed over the last you know month or so, several weeks, um, just pretty much one directionally, even though with, even with a very hawkish BOE. Uh, however, the pound has not really been getting destroyed against the yen. The yen has been getting destroyed more on a relative basis. Um, and so uh, GBP, JPY and USD, JPY going into today were actually performing quite well. Um, and then you start seeing profit taking um, on GBP, JPY. So what the what my point about the, the pound is and how it relates to, you know, dollar yen and the, the other assets or the other uh, cross currency pairs is that something like the, the British pound and a UK leadership change um, that. I guess would fundamentally have nothing to really do with the yen per se, even though these are G5 leaders. And of course they are very much inter, you know, interlocked and all that, but um, they can still impact other cross currency pairs, let alone other uh, asset classes um, in and of themselves. And so like you you really do need to look at not just FX, but you need to look at specific um, currency pairs and how they relate to whatever event or whatever region, like broad dollar. Hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. So, because that's the thing. And and I'm sure if I scan down the questions, we're going to have a, because you could look at, you know, you could look at something like the ISM and say, oh, of course, that's going to mean stronger dollar. And then we get questions all the time about the DXY or, or you know, something. But you you don't look at that. You We need to drill down past that. Why not? Why not look at that sort of broad measure? Yeah, that's uh, Maggie. As you know, that's my kind of peeve, the DXY, the dollar spot index. I did not know this, but now we do. Why? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, so the DXY, I I think, is um, doing a major disservice to, to market participants because what it does is kind of broadly speaking and philosophically speaking, if you will, it makes the dollar a kind of standalone asset, if you will. And like I said, 
currencies are you cannot just buy just one you know currency it's it's a it's a pair of trade you're shorting something else you're selling something else to buy the dollar but dxy kind of like removes that mentality and so people talk about the dollar but when I, whenever someone someone talks about the dollar i'm always asking like the dollar against what like legitimately yeah. I, I don't know and i need to know what you're talking about the dollar against what are you talking about against the euro the yen the, the british pound are you talking about some obscure emerging market currency you're talking about the turkish lira whatever it is and uh, what DXY, the, the reason that I think it's just put, has like way too much importance put on it, I'm not saying it's not important, but the reason it has way too much importance put on it is because I don't believe that it reflects a very nice balanced basket of global currencies. It's 60%, you know, two thirds of it is, is the euro. And that's fine if it was kind of designed that way, but it wasn't. The DXY index was constructed pre the euro becoming this single currency this eurozone and so it was you know sp split up into the you know um the jo the german uh deutschmark and so on and so forth the italian currency and they all had kind of equal more or less equal weightings um mm. in like the low teen digits or whatever they are but then they all just merge into one gigantic currency block, and now you have one that's six percent euro. So what I say is like it's almost like the S and P five hundred, which, as we know, is a uh, an index that's weighted very heavily towards the you know the top five or so tech stocks, the you know Apple, Amazon, Tesla, Google, uh, so on and so forth, Facebook, Meta, whatever. It would be like if let's say those com companies combined. Um, had a super illegal merger called Monopoly Corp. Okay, and let's say Monopoly Corp was one stock, and that was sixty percent of the S and P five hundred weighting, and then the other four hundred ninety nine names were the remaining forty percent. That is not SPX would not be a, a good sort of broad based, um, you know, reflection of corporate America, publicly traded corporate America by any means. Right, it's just right. Monopoly Corp mostly. Well, that's kind of how I look at DXY and its zero dominance. Um, so that's, that's my kind I of rant see as charged because I will ask people, you know, what are your thoughts about the dollar? Like, do you think the U.S. dollar is going to remain strong? And I'm not saying against which pair. So I I fall into that myself. But you're right. Like, how how do we know relative? So if we bring this, so if we bring this back, I I, I just want to sort of wrap on on the on the pound because um we have we we noticed a chart of the day from our friend Jim Bianco put out Jim Bianco research put out and it was US dollar the cable pair which is what that's called US dollar versus the British pound and he was talking about um chart of the day that it just shows you like the decline of the pound but when you're looking at the crosses and what you were talking about with the yen are is that an indication that Investors are nervous about the UK situation, and that was that's the only reason the yen stopped. That because they felt more unsettled about the pound than they did the yen. Like, what do you pull out of that? Those crosses that you were talking about. Sure. So um, the yen um, and how it relates to the you know the the, the British pound. Yeah. So for um, for something as monumental as leadership change uh, that happened, you know, last last night and into today and a ton of like uncertainty left the like gbp usd crossed and is not really moving that much for something you know um something very big and uh, obviously there's a lot of um kind of assumptions that Liz trust would would take it and even if it was rich sunak then 
it's not really that much of a difference. But the what I'm taking from it is that that lack of movement from um, GBPUSD or GBPUR is that Liz Trust hasn't actually said anything or done anything yet. So it's there's information in sort of a lack of uh, movement in currencies as well. It's like mm. people are still holding their breath. Um, I think that she's going to be rolling out her, her cabinet soon and, and just hopefully just kind of spell some more concrete steps as to what to do. She's in a very, very difficult spot that she's inheriting right now um, in, in the UK with, with inflation, with energy and all that, uh, with the falling currency, um, with uh, workers' riots and, uh, or strikes and, and so on and so forth. And so she's, she's entering a very difficult spot and the lack of movement in the pound versus the dollar is telling me that not that things are fine and sanguine, it's that people are still waiting and you'll probably see a, some directional movement um, in, in uh, either direction. You'll probably see uh, the pound the like sterling to, um, to strengthen against the dollar after it's been be- being sold down this much just mm-hmm. on anything, just because it's some sort of certainty because uncertainty is the biggest enemy of markets better it's worse than bad news because bad news you can therefore price in and know what to do um but as it relates to the the yen when i see the gp jpy going down while uh gbp usd and gp eur basically just staying flat that's telling me that the yen is getting sold specifically and mm-hmm. so brian if you go to uh chart four this is intraday this is today um a full trading day of uh the yen and I've kind of broken this chart up into three like colors, color regimes. And what that is, is basically, so the chart in, in and of itself is those are yen futures uh, in green and the yen futures volume on the bottom. And you can see like the kind of corresponding moves and all that. And then I've overlaid in the blue shaded area, just spot dollar yen for, for reference. And so the spot dollar yen rate is being moved by and large by these listed derivatives, by futures and options on these futures. Um, and I've split them up into these three separate um, color regimes. And what those are, are so FX trades like, you know, almost pretty much day, like around the clock all day. Um, but it has like three more or less kind of trading sessions, if you will, and trading hubs um, globally. And so the first one to start the day is Tokyo. Um, and then in comes UK, uh, London. Which is really, you know, Europe, but it's really mm-hmm. London, the center of it, and then the the U.S. overlap. And what you can see here is that to start the day, at least in the A.M. in Japan, um, domestics were buyers of the yen. But then, as you get towards cash close and towards that kind of flip where the London traders come in, that's when yen futures really started getting slammed down, and then they really got slammed down going into uh, the U.S. session and then throughout the U.S. session. And so that's telling me that foreigners are sellers of yen or shorting the yen, um, whereas domestics are not. Uh, that could be re- domestics repatriation. Um, that's mm-hmm. kind of netting up be buy flows. But what that's also telling me is that this is once again the policy divergence trade. This is the hawkish Fed versus the dovish BOJ policy divergence uh, mm-hmm. happening, and therefore the yen gets shorted because the currency is where the ex- the kind of release valve is because the BOJ is capping. Uh, JDBs at you know the ten-year JDB at twenty-five basis points. So that means if that's capped and uh, yields are surging in the United States and in Europe, then the yield spread between the U.S. and Japan, or Europe and Japan, or you know the boon, the boon um, 
JPY uh, spread or whatever it is, mm-hmm. that widens, and as that widens, the end gets crushed. Yeah, so which I mean. which would be, uh, you know, especially on the day coming after the ISM was strong and there's thinking there's higher rates here, that policy divergence would be front and center. Oh, any, any, you know, the, the, the BOJ, this has been, it's been moving. It's been, and people have been shocked about how much it's moved. It seems like it's taking on, a, you know, entering a whole new level here. I mean, you, you, I know you were tweeting about 143 up and then there, you know, there it is. I mean, <laughs> is there a sense of where this becomes, is, is going to have a policy response or, or, you know, what is your sense of what's happening with the yen, Weston? Um, it's been my long held belief. So you're going to start hearing in a few hours, um, from the Ministry of Finance, from you know Suzuki himself probably about we are very concerned, we are monitoring very carefully, and all that. And that to me tells me that there is no intervention happening because if you say that and then you don't do anything, you're telling markets that you are literally just standing on the sidelines and and just watching the game while the opponent runs up the scoreboard because you're saying we have no plan. We're just watching. We're monitoring very carefully. And then the opponent's going to say, okay, well, we're just going to keep running up the scoreboard. So what happens is the falling yen is terrible for Japan, but rising rates would be disastrous for Japan and the world at large, um, in the mo- especially for Japan, the most indebted you know, country in the world. So uh, this is the less worse of the two options. Also, mm-hmm. there's not going to be any yen intervention in my in, anytime soon, in my view, because, like I said, you cannot just do it unilaterally or by yourself. Um, the Japanese can't just intervene in the yen. You need to have Mr. Powell and Miss Yellen agree to sell USD with an eight-handle CPI while they're trying to tighten financial conditions. Good luck with getting that to happen. Good luck with getting Christine Lagarde to weaken the euro, to agree to weaken the euro when she's fighting horrendous inflation. Um, same with Governor Bailey of the you know of the UK and and basically everyone else, right? Everyone wants a strong currency because they don't want to they want to deflect away inflation, and so they're fine with Japan having a trade advantage um, from from forex uh, weaker forex. So you're not going to get any sympathy from any of these other counterparties, the G5 counterparties, which you need in order to stabilize again. So as long as yields are going to continue to surge and the 10-year U.S. Uh, the 10-year JGB yield is right up against that 25 basis point level of where Bank of Japan will artificially cap by unlimited buying. That means that the yen will continue to get st- destroyed. And then the more of the commentary that you hear of, we are very concerned. We're monitoring from the Ministry of Finance. The more that they're not just they're not going to do anything. So my my view is that as long as yields continue to surge, it's, it's really a, a U.S. Uh, yield view. You feel, if you think that U.S. yields are going to be at 4%, 5%, 10-year U.S. yields you know, by year-end or whatever it is, um, you probably want to be long dollar yen. That's the trade, and vice versa. And are there implications for Asia, for other countries, if Japan, if that if that yen is just on a, is this race and higher? Yeah, um, there are implications for cross-asset markets, and there are geopolitical implications uh, as well, um, specifically with the Chinese yuan. Uh, which, by the way, the the yen getting destroyed to like new levels at like 142, 143, 145, 150, or whatever doesn't it's like doesn't really do like much for like directly to cross markets. The yuan, USD CNH and USD CNY, that needs to be watched as it's approaching seven, which is a you know a psychological level, but therefore it's still a very prominent level. 
So, uh, Brian, can you pull up chart five? This is why you need to pay attention to USD CNY. This is a chart of S&P E-minis, okay? Your stock portfolio, U.S. investor at home. <laughs> right, USD CNY, uh, that's the U.S. dollar versus the Chinese yuan, right? Chinese yuan, offshore Chinese yuan, and I've inverted it so that it's easier to see, and so therefore that white line going down is the yuan getting weaker and vice versa. And so this is, I mean, very self-explanatory. It's S&P E-minis versus the yuan. It doesn't always correlate. Currently, it is correlated. Risk assets are being moved by what is happening in in uh, in China and how that's being expressed via the currency markets. Uh, if you go to chart six, Brian, this is um, Bitcoin versus USDC and H once again inverse. And I've put it on the the Bitcoin um, time or the, the time scale so that that way you see like kind of overnight or like weekend trading and all that stuff too. And as you can see, Bitcoin makes very sharp moves, not just alongside USDC and H, but it does so. It, it doesn't do so during like non-traditional market trading errors. And if you look at this this line of USDC and H six point nine, when that was broken, um, it's actually that should be USDC and Y six point nine. But that was when the PBOC, the People's Bank of China, the Chinese Central Bank. They did their daily fixing, which they every day they set their, um, you know, the fixing rate um, at 9.15 a.m. domestic time. And they set it above 6.9, which is the weakest level in a very long time that they did that. And that caused a, a massive risk off move. And you could see it in a wave of it actually happened in two waves that day of Bitcoin uh, selling down about like 6% and then 9% later um, towards cash close that, that day. And so we really need to watch USC CNY um, at the seven handle, because if you get that and then you get through that, you're looking at, I don't know, three, four, 5% down on equity indices globally and risk assets. Um, should that happen? So that's the next shoe to drop, um, you know, post this, this, uh, what's it called? Um, Jackson Hole era. Mm. So the, this is so important, and I think what you just said is so. When we're you know when we're looking at, we always encourage everyone to sort of have a dashboard of multiple things that you look at, so that you're not just looking at one indicator. That you're looking at a bunch of things to see if whatever it is that you're trying to trade or invest in. Or if it's a narrative that you're trying to think about, whether it sort of stands up to multiple different kinds of tests. And based on what you just said, it's anybody who's either trying to think about equities or trying to think about Bitcoin should be looking at this currency cross as one of their tools because this is going to indicate to you a sort of cleaner sense of what the sentiment is directionally. Is that right? That's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah, uh, Brian, uh, last chart, ch chart seven. This is the ultimate why you should care about the yen and the Chinese yuan. That is the risk-free rate in purple. That is the risk-free rate that all assets, risk assets, are um, benchmarked to. And you can see that is, at the moment, very clearly correlated with both USD, JPY, and USD, CNH. So... The yen surging against, or the yen dropping against the dollar, or USD JPY surging into well into like the new 140s to 1998 highs, uh, and USD CNY, you know, about to break seven and all that, and the 10 year US Treasury yield getting sold off, those things 
aren't coincidental by any means. And they are telling you, uh, this is just another angle to look at, you know, risk assets. Or you can look at SPY and it will tell you nothing about what's, you know, what market participants are feeling or how they're positioned or uh, so on and so forth. We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. It looks like Weston found a new chart of truth for for the moment, <laughs> but that that is amazing. And again, something that we don't look at very much. I wanted to ask one quick question because I know I don't I, I know that you've been looking at this before, and I know that's why Ralph knows you've been looking at this before. Um, and you were uh, the Turkish lira. Well, he's saying, what's Weston's opinion? What's going on with the Turkish stock market? It's on a tear up, twenty percent in U.S. dollar terms, while their currency is getting absolutely crushed. Are you still keeping an eye on the lira, Weston? I am. Uh, they just put out, I think they just actually officially had their government reported 20% CPI figure. Oh, I'm sorry, 80% CPI. Um, that's what Turkey's dealing with, an 80% CPI. Um, yeah, so the lira is greatly important, as I made a video about, um, because it's not just some obscure sort of currency. Um, the reason that it matters is because when you have um, a currency crisis like like in Turkey, especially like towards the end of last year, what I was saying in my video was that when you have, you know, um, your buying power, if you're just a regular person in Turkey, you're like a normal per person, you're a computer engineer, you're an auto mechanic, you're a baker, whatever, whatever you are, and you're just trying to do the right thing, provide for the family, your husband, wife, whatever it is. And then, you know, every day that you wake up, you're, you have like 3%, 4%, 5%, 10% less buying power than when you went to sleep. Um, that is going to cause social unrest at at home domestically and because Erdogan has clearly taken hold of uh the the economy by firing central bankers at you know at will um for better or for worse whatever happens to the economy it's basically just this one person who is going to be blamed or take credit for it and so if things are really deteriorating on the ground on a daily basis in Turkey with 80% CPI and Erdogan's approval ratings are at all-time lows and he's up for re-election that's very risky because it can potentially um, create, you know, have a, a situation where this individual who has the powers of the state may cause some external geopolitical volatility to distract mm. away from the economic misery at home. And mm. they're right in the thick of things like Russia and energy and all that kind of thing, too. So um, that's the risk of, of what happened. You know, the same thing with the Yuan and Xi Jinping and, you know, the... Uh, Chinese Communist Party and the Party Congress that you and I, you know, are always talking about, and so th that's what the risk is when it comes to um, like uh, a currency getting crushed or whatever, maybe or just economic misery. It's, it's a barometer for economic kind of misery or non-misery on the ground. And then when you have authoritarian dictatorships or whatever they may be, people with the power of the state and like people who are controlling currencies, that's a way to be able to kind of gauge and it's it's like a metric to see like where where they you know what if they're at like a very dire situation yeah, um yeah. and something like home yeah especially at a time when uh things are so fragile everywhere so add another geopolitical risk on top of all the other ones that are current we're currently facing 
Uh, real quick, we're just going to go a couple minutes over because I want to get this question in. Um, so two questions about the euro. John from YouTube asking, how low can the euro go? And Piers asking, what's driving euro weakness? Is it rate expectations, structural economic weakness, or uh, you know, Northern European energy problems? And, and just on that point, um, Andreas Senna Larson, uh, our colleague, has been tweeting out about the liquidity issue and the um, you know concerns around margin calls and uh, uh, all of that in Europe. And it's it's really important we pay attention to that. We're going to be diving into it all week. Um, one of his tweets from earlier, Euro, Euro area clearing banks are the counterparts in the $1.5 trillion energy margin calls. Lehman 2.0 or big bailouts. That is now the trade-off in Europe. So the, the situation is extremely, extremely sensitive in Europe when it comes to that. So, um, Weston, the question, how low can it go and what do you think is driving it? The euro. Euro dollar. Let's be specific oh, about our currency yeah. pair. Euro dollar. <laughs> I think it's yeah. what they were probably talking about. But tell us if you're looking well, at a different euro well, cross. Well, euro dollar is, was, is a perfectly legitimate cross to look at because it's, you know, parity and all that. Um, but... The euro, how low can it go? It could go to zero, like anything. Again. Um, you know, but I guess there's not enough information in the question. Like, what's your time horizon? What's all like, you know, but it can go much lower. It can go like into the low 90s. Let and me let me re let me rephrase the question. Oh. How about is there a is there a sort of support level that we all should be watching or is it all still coalescing around parity right now? The weird thing is, is that it's broken through parity and it's at 99 and then it's just like hanging out there. So it's almost like not, uh, parity is no longer a floor for the euro. It's a ceiling almost is kind of how I'm looking at it. Um, and so therefore, it's kind of a resistance level. And that's where you would potentially sell uh, for a short term. Uh, but with re regards to like what's driving it, I would say that over the last few months, really, it's just been it's been energy. I mean, just, just pull up a chart of uh, Brent or, or crude. And pull up a chart of you know EUR USD, and they um, correlate quite quite nicely. Now we have the ECB coming uh, later this week, and so hopefully what people can take away from like our discussion here is that watch the currency markets. Don't look at the the DAX or even like the the you know the Boon BTP yield spread or whatever it is. I mean, yeah, look at them. But uh, if you want to get like the least dirty reading of what um, comes out of the ECB and, and Ms. Lagarde, um, watch the euro and watch the euro against the various other uh, pairs, not just the dollar. So don't mm -hmm. just look at USD um, or EUR USD, because if you look at that, you're looking at it uh, like, again, an oil trade. But if you look at EUR JPY, you'll see what the ECB just did relative to a static easing central bank, which is the BOJ. Um, and then look at against um, the British pound, and then look at it against you know CAD, whatever it is, Aussie dollar. So there, there are d different like uh, pairs that you have to kind of take into account, and just not just look at it just as a dollar. Definitely, just don't use the TXY. Um, is what I would say. We we got that message, and I'm going to catch myself in the future. Weston, thank you so much. We don't spend enough time talking about this part of the market. Um, no one talks about it, uh, I think, outside of us. And so I think we're all a lot smarter for this conversation today. So thank you so much. Thank you for the opportunity. I hope this was helpful. And again, I'm not an FX like professional or anything like that. There are far more smart people than me. Reach out to them, talk to them. But <laughs> I just want to flag this as a class. 
that is largely being overlooked. So no, absolutely. And it's 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 something that we need to, you know, to check on and sort of plug into our personal dashboards, it sounds like, so that we can make smarter decisions. So thank you so much. And uh, Andreas Senelorsen is going to be back tomorrow with Darius Dale. So you can line up your questions. And he and I are going to catch up later this week and really have a deep dive conversation into the European energy crisis. So cannot wait for that because it's getting really, really serious by the minute. So really interested to see what Andreas has to say. He's been talking to a lot of people about it. So not sure where we're going to air that or if it's going to be live, but we'll get you all that information. Thank you all for joining us today. Appreciate it. We'll see you the same time tomorrow. In the meantime, take care and good luck out there. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.